Dr. Lauren. Oh my goodness. Joining me <laughs> on episode four of Veterinary Humans today. We just completed a bit of mindfulness. We did. To um, get into the zone for this conversation. I think it really helped. It's going to help us ease into this because I know it's going to be something powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, I've known Lauren for probably the last five-ish years. Yeah. We've been um, living together kind of in halls, in the halls community and then kind of seeing her around and it's weird because I'm, I'm on placement again and I'm at a rural placement, a rural mixed practice and then Lauren is actually working here. So I was like, I'm going to grab Lauren on the podcast. Feel free to introduce yourself, Lauren. Um, let the people know who you are and yeah, how you came to be here at Chinchilla. Yeah, so I'm Lauren. I graduated at the end of 2022 from UQ. Um, and I always wanted to move out west. Um ever since I started uni really. Um, and it just happened to be that I ended up in Chinchilla, which is great and I'm loving it so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for joining me today. So I want to quickly say something because, you know, we've known each other for those years and I've seen you actually kind of, you know, progress yeah. through I think second, third, fourth, fifth year. Yeah. And... I was talking to you about it earlier this week, mm. but you know how you go into the um, vet, the room where the vets sit. The any um, fifth years on new grads probably understand me. Yeah, the vet you're, office. You're following the vet, and then you get into the vet office. <laughs> yeah, and I think I was with you on a case, and I think it's like the second day. Yeah, and kind of march in there, and the vet always takes the seat, and then the vet student is stands there awkwardly. Yeah. <laughs> Standing there awkwardly, but there was a moment where it wasn't actually awkward. And I kind of, you know, went into that room, the vet office with you, and you took the chair, and I was kind of standing behind you. And I was just like, just had this immensely, like, I felt so proud Mm. of you because it was so cool to see your progression, and now you're this vet. Yeah. Like, actually doing these cases and I kind of stood there like behind you for a second I was like damn you're actually killing it <laughs> thanks so you're actually well keeping it alive I should say <laughs> and I just want to acknowledge you for that because seeing that kind of progression yeah and then actually you know you made it to being a vet that was cool yeah I didn't um, even really think about that hey yeah it's, yeah that is pretty wild it was like something that yeah, I didn't think about it until I was standing behind you. Mm. And it was like, oh, this is going to be an awkward sway. But then I kind of, like, you yeah. get awkward, like, standing behind him and, yeah. like, get out your mini vet guide or whatever <laughs> yeah, it is and look. just flick through, <laughs> waiting for the vet to go, you know, somewhere else. Yeah. But I just stood there and I was just like, wow, mm. this is cool to see. Mm. Um, one thing that you said to me and a reason why I got you on as well is because mm. when I asked you about fifth year, you said... Um, that you loved all your placements and that's yep. what Veterinary Humans is about. It's about sharing the love for what we do. Yeah. So I start out by asking everyone mm-hmm. how they are. You've been having, I know you've had 
like a hectic two weeks. <laughs> yeah. So how are you? Oh, not too bad. I'm tired, really tired, both physically and mentally after the last two weeks. Um, they've been really, really hectic at work. Um, so it's kind of nice to have the weekend off and relax and just take a break mentally to like reset and mm. prepare for the next probably hectic week that is to come. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I felt really, really tired at the end of these two weeks. So yeah. why are we feeling tired? So I worked a five day week, um, which I don't usually do. I work a four day week with an RDO, so a rusted day off. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just so happened that I had to work a five day week and then I went into a weekend on call. Um, and then I worked the next couple of days as well after that. So I was feeling really smashed <laughs> and mm. I had, you had a big weekend on call. I had a, a massive, massive weekend. weekend on call. Um, had a lot of cases come in and when you're on call, you're kind of always like on edge cause you're kind of just waiting for that phone to ring. Mm. Um, so you really don't get time to, you know, relax. Even when you're not yeah. like at the clinic. You yeah. You just kind of got the phone. And it's yeah. Like and you mind. kind of just like looking at it and you're like, oh, is it actually working? Like, and you like make sure it's on loud and everything yeah. like that. Yeah. So like that's one thing that's just going to come with time is me not being so uptight <laughs> and on edge mm-hmm. when I've got the phone. Um but, yeah, I had a hectic, hectic week on call. So what do you think at the end of the two weeks? Do you think it's worth it? Do you feel like it, it wasn't worth it? Like why did you push yourself in these two weeks? Is there something that you kind of are trying to achieve? Mm. Oh, it's definitely worth it. Um, I know, like, some days I was feeling like, oh, my God, I'm, like, dead and one day I was feeling really, really crap. And I was like, oh, like, did I make the right decision? Like, (laughs) this is intense. Mm -hmm. But then I, like, talked to the other vets that have, like, had so many more years' experience than I have. And they tell you that you're doing an amazing job and, you know, they can't believe that you've only been out for three months. And, like, you're not... I guess, like, a normal new grad, if that makes mm. sense. Um, like, you're kind of... So you guys get to do... Really impressive, yeah. Especially being in a rural yeah. setting. Yeah. So I would say we've had a different start to our new grad life. Mm. Um, different than others, I know. Um, like, we were eased into it, but then, like it became crunch time and you were kind of thrown in the deep end. And now yeah. I feel like I've had so much experience and I've only been working for three months. Mm-hmm. I see you and I'm like, you're doing cool surgeries. For yeah. One. Yeah. You've done a massive wound repair while mm-hmm. I've been here. Yeah. A dog. Mm-hmm. And you did a C-section. Yeah. On the weekend. Yeah. Which we'll talk about. Yes. Um, <laughs> shortly. <laughs> Which is kind of a funny situation. Oh, gosh, yes. Not so funny as well. <laughs> um, so what do you think 
the most defining moments in your life have been leading up to your vet? Is there any thing that stands out for you, whether it's vet related mm. or just in your life? Oh, look, probably moving, it's probably not like a massive thing, but moving out of home when I first started uni was a really defining moment for me because I realised how independent I actually am. Like I don't really rely, like I love my family, but I don't really rely on them. And I realised how much I enjoyed being independent as like mm. an 18 year old straight off the bat. Like I bloody loved it. And I've kind of didn't realize I was someone that was like that. I have always been really quiet and a bit of a like introvert, um, which I've definitely grown out of now. Um, I'm quite out there and I like meeting people and like, it takes a little bit, but like, I'm definitely not what I used to be. You have a good energy in the clinic. Yeah. Yeah. Like. I think people feed off it too. I just, as soon as I moved out of home, I just found myself and like, I just became who I wanted to be, like someone that was really out there and was independent and confident and everything like that. So I would say that was a really defining moment for me. It was really cool. Is there anything that you learnt? from that experience of going from being dependent mm. to being independent? Mm. Did you kind of prove anything to yourself? Well, that I could do it, <laughs> that mm. I could, you know, have a good time without, you know, the safety blanket of my family mm -hmm. being around. Do you use that independence now? Like if you're out doing a case mm. on a farm, mm. does it kind of give you a bit of confidence to know that you can be independent? Yeah. When yeah. you're doing those cases yeah, as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it's something I find that is really useful um, being a mixed practice rural vet where you have to go out in cases by yourself. Mm. Um, knowing that you can do it and like you're fine with being like alone and working up a case. Um, I find that that's really helpful. So when you're in a uncomfortable situation, mm -hmm which you faced many <laughs> I've seen in mm. the last two weeks. Mm -hmm. Is there any strategies that you go to? Anything that you kind of think about? Is it the fact that you know you can be independent? Or mm. is, it, is there something else that you use in the moment? I kind of try not to panic. Yeah. <laughs> Take a step back. Yep. Um, I look at what's in front of me and I start with the basics. Mm -hmm. Um. I definitely didn't start like that when I first came out here for my job. I remember the first couple of tricky cases I had, I kind of like freaked out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, what do I do? And the vets that I work with were like, just take it, just take a step back, focus on the basics. What do you need to do? Mm -hmm. um, and I've kind of adopted that now when I have, those tricky cases. Um, yeah. And it just takes the pressure off you and takes the stress off it mm. because that's what makes you crumble with a case is when you're overwhelmed and stressed mm. and you just can't see clearly. So I always try now and it's been my ongoing thing mm. since um, kind of 
when I had my bit of a crisis between mm. third and fourth year, I would try and have a pause between the situation yeah. and the reaction. Yeah. So just trying to find that space in between. Mm-hmm. So I think doing that in the clinic as well is yeah. probably pretty useful when you get that crazy case and you're, yeah. you've got all these clinical signs and then like sometimes I'm like walking out the back, I'm like, what? Yeah. What do I start with? Yeah. But I feel like taking that pause between, mm-hmm. um, you know, seeing the signs yeah. and then going, okay, this is what I've got. Mm-hmm. And then reacting. Yeah. And in my life, I do that as well. Yeah. Like if someone says something, I don't know, about me, I just try not to let it you know, yeah. get to me. I try and go, all right, they've said it, pause, then react. Yeah. And I try and react with like love. And yeah. When we were doing that, when you were doing that C-section. Yeah. It was kind of funny because <laughs> it's, and that's one thing I want to talk about too. I'm seeing a lot of your firsts. Yes. And it's cool for me to see your first. Yeah. Um, so it's Lauren's first C-section. Yes. And got like the photo <laughs> as you're um, cutting, cutting in. in and she's done like the skin incisions and she's like kind of, you know, I got the photo and she's smiling. Mm-hmm. And then Lauren's like three incisions later into the abdomen, this like brown kind of ooze started coming out. Yep. And then <laughs> Lauren's like... <laughs> Oh, this isn't good. <laughs> yeah. But then it was great because you had the support from your um, seniors yeah. on hand and she was able to come in and, yeah. you know, you did Figure really out well. what the heck and was going on. Ended up being like a ruptured uterus yep. and um, the dog survived and you, yes. saved, you saved that dog's life as yeah. well. As, um, Wild. Like Couple, three puppies. Yeah, three puppies. So that was cool. Yeah. Um, just want to acknowledge you for that, <laughs> definitely. So I have a question about compassion fatigue. Mm-hmm. Um, which is also actually from one of my followers. And we were just having a quick chat about whether Lauren has any experience mm-hmm. um, with compassion fatigue yeah. uh, before the podcast. Do you have any experience with compassion fatigue? Obviously, it's really, really prevalent in our industry um, because we're all people that are very giving and want to do what's best for the animal. Mm-hmm. Um, like I was saying to you earlier, I can definitely see how it happens. Mm. Um, you know, like even now I've been working for three months and I can see like kind of how it occurs. Like some days I forget to eat lunch because I'm, you know, working up cases and looking after hospital patients and making sure all of my clients and my patients are being seen and, you know, having their problems dealt with and mm-hmm. making sure the animal's okay. Um, and then I get to the end of the day and I'm like dead because, you know, I haven't eaten um, mm-hmm. and everything like that. And I'm like, that's not good. Like I should be, you know, looking after myself because if I'm not okay, yeah. then no one's going to be there to see the animals. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really important. And I talk to my like, senior vets about that as well and they said that you know they dealt with the same thing and it's just learning about balance and you know taking 15 minutes out of your day just to sit eat something and yeah have a bit of a mental break and then get back into it Mm -hmm. um so I can definitely see how it happens and um it's a very slippery slope yeah so you've got to be really careful about I've done a bit of research about compassion fatigue and for anyone listening 
the definition that I've kind of gotten of compassion fatigue is any emotional, physical, psychological, spiritual exhaustion due to repeated exposures of others suffering. Yeah. So in our case, it's repeated exposure to animal suffering or yeah. maybe it's even your colleagues suffering yeah. and people either res- seem to be responding in a way that they suppress it yeah or the fact that they take that suffering on and then they actually start to demonstrate signs of like having taking on these traumas yeah yeah um and kind of what you've spoken about spoken about is an imbalance which yeah. is what they talk about um a lot of with a lot of the research that I've been doing about it so it's a lack of devoting time mm-hmm. to yourself. And I think, yeah, it's important that you are taking your lunch breaks yeah. and taking that time because if you don't have that balance, um, that's going to be the first thing that's yeah. probably going to send you down that, exactly. that slippery slope. Yeah. Um, and also they speak about the fact that it's not a character flaw because mm. people think, you know, it's you, it's just a me problem and it's not, yeah. it's no... It's, it's a completely natural and normal thing to yeah. happen yeah. to everyone. So the, just acknowledging that it's not just you no. in that situation yeah. um, and that it's completely normal and that in doing that, it's validating mm. the facts that, okay, this is a real thing. And yeah. then you go, how am I going to approach it? Mm. So um, one thing that I really liked about in the research that I kind of did was um, the fact that, yes, recognizing it's normal, validating that it's normal, but they kind of talk about telling the full story because mm-hmm. it's the idea that if you're focusing and it's, I don't want to be saying this is like continually focusing on the positives. Like you just look at the positives, but in a way that is important too, because you've got to look at the whole picture. Mm. So what happens when you're focusing on kind of, you know, the suffering of the animals, you actually start to like see more of that and yeah. you're only noticing that. And it becomes overwhelming. So mm. they actually have this thing called compassion satisfaction, mm-hmm. which is like the balance. And it's about looking at the other side of the thing. Um, so it's about the pleasure that we derive from work. Yeah. So it's really about focusing on what you do love about the job and noticing those things to kind of balance it up as one step. Um, so I really liked that fact. So I think like next time anyone's experiencing compassion fatigue, think about having some compassion satisfaction. Mm. That's one thing. And then also some of the other, I'll just quickly run over some of the things. And there's, this is from a psychologist, um, some of her tips. So I'll just run over the main ones that I kind of liked. So firstly, you have to know the signs. Mm-hmm. So you're doing, you're, you're noticing maybe some signs. Right? Yeah. And it's good that you're acting and you've spoken to your seniors. And I think yeah. that's kind of like step one, right? Um, and then they talk about resetting and taking care of your basic needs, Mm -hmm. making sure you're eating, making sure you're sleeping, making sure you're exercising, making sure maybe you're taking some meditation. Um, are you looking at things that inspire you and Mm. are you able to use them moving forward? Um, and then they talk about not only noticing the signs, but beware noticing any destructive behavior. So they talk about any things that, um, like alcohol, drugs, some people go shopping. Yeah. And it's like things that they're doing to, um, as a distraction. I really liked. Um, so this is all about, you know, noticing what's happening. So what do we actually do? So it's about practicing self-compassion. So it's about what do I feel and how do I feel? 
and about walking, like coming into the present moment and walking your body through the sensations. Being like, it's okay to feel like this. And there's one thing that actually they spoke about is practicing radical acceptance. And I think you said it before. Um, sorry that I'm kind of going oh, on the no. spiel now. No, it's fine. This is like some research that I yeah. think is pretty important that I've done. I spent a bit of time on it. Um, was taking away the sense of responsibility for righting wrongs and healing the hurts of all the animals mm -hmm. and just radically accepting the fact that you can't be in control of those animals yeah. all the time. Yeah. I think that's important because it's, it's what drives us because you want to save the animals. Yeah. And we want to help relieve them of mm -hmm. suffering. Like it's sometimes a disproportionate responsibility. Mm hmm so maybe removing the if only thoughts, yep. trying to do that. So radical acceptance of what you can control in your life. Mm -hmm. And I guess the last thing that I, in the quick bit of research that I did, or last two things I'll quickly race over, were um, compartmentalization. Mm -hmm. And I think this can be seen possibly wrong. I don't think suppressing emotions is the right thing to do. No. So definitely seeking support and friends yeah. and talking about it. You have your senior vets, which yeah. is awesome that's what um you know one step of it too it's talking to others and having yeah. their experiences learning from them yeah but it seems to be that um compartmentalization is okay in the fact that after a big day of coming home um just as soon as you get home trying to leave the patients at work okay so we're going to think about them but how can we stop so you get changed out of your work uniform like trying to do that straight away yeah you're trying to put on your joggers straight away and quickly change your environment mm -hmm. um, to act as something that compartmentalizes work to work. So take off your work clothes, yeah. put your notes away, have a separate room for work, mm -hmm. chuck on your joggers, that kind of thing. And yeah. I really like that idea of um, like changing your environment because I think environment drives the way we think. Definitely. Um, yeah, hope that that... I just went on a bit of a spill, no. but I've definitely put a bit of time into thinking yeah. about this. So I hope that that helps the person that asked me about compassion fatigue. And I know Lauren's hit the nail on the head and it's been really helpful to use her experience. We'll go on to another follower's question. Mm -hmm. So I had a question and you've kind of spoken about it already yeah. from a follower. So it was being so rural and being a mixed practice vet must mean you tackle a lot of tricky cases you would normally refer for. How do you feel about taking those cases? E.g., do you feel like they're unrewarding? Do you feel hopeless or like you're a bad vet? Or maybe you feel like you're super interested and this is so cool because you get to take on these cases. Mm. You've been thrown in the deep end a bit. What do you think? Yeah. Look, being a rural mixed practice vet is very different um you know we are general practitioners and there's only so much we can do and we obviously do see those tricky cases where you know if you're in Brisbane I guess um you'd refer them straight away or you know you'd have a bit more of a bit more resources to use um when you're in those more city environments but you've just got to be honest with the client um you know, there's only so much you can do and you can offer all that you've got to those patients. And sometimes it actually works 
and you can, you know, control the problem. Um, but sometimes, you know, you've got to refer them onwards, but that's also really difficult um, because, you know, our closest referral centre is either Gatton or Brisbane, which and is... Which is how many hours? That's like... A long drive. Yeah. <laughs> so you're taking on these cases. Yeah. yeah. So referrals really sometimes not an option. Um, so we've kind of got to make do with what we've got. Mm. But it's also really, really fun. <laughs> I really enjoy it. Um, you know, having a uncontrolled diabetic come through the clinic that doesn't want to eat um, <laughs> is really, really fun. Um, but, you know, you make do with what you've got. You keep the animal comfortable. You get the basics sorted. And you just have to manage your client's expectations about what you can and you can't do. Mm -hmm. um, do, you, do you find that you get support from specialists? Are you, how easy do you find it, like picking up the phone and asking specialists oh, for support? So easy. Um, you know, I had a case yesterday that, you know, I had a dog with a portosystemic shunt that wanted to be castrated and I was like, you know, we only have, you know, stuff that is, you know, drugs that are metabolized by the liver. Sorry to get technical for everyone, but, you know, that's yeah. <laughs> how it is. Um, and it probably wouldn't be safe for us to do it here, but I just jumped on the phone, spoke to a specialist about what can be done for this patient. Mm. They gave me the answer I needed and I could forward that on to the client. And it was as simple as that. And I've done that a couple of times. Mm. Um, yeah, I've noticed that it's... That's one thing that I noticed coming out here mm. is um, you can easily pick up the phone and I see the vets oh, yeah. doing it and they're having a chat to someone in Gatton. They're having yep. a chat to an eye specialist in Brisbane mm -hmm. and the support is actually much more yep. than I thought as well. Mm. Um, the toxin hotline, yeah, like those kinds of things, mm -hmm. It's you're not out there. You're not alone alone no alone. it's cool that everyone's supporting yeah. everyone everyone like, wants the best for the yeah. patients you know when i was in fifth year and i did placement at a specialist clinic in brisbane and they knew i was wanting to move out rural and do mixed practice they're like call us at any time like we have you back um if you ever need anything um to ask a question anything like that just give us a call Mm -hmm. Um, and I found that most clinics are like that. Um, you know, you might get the odd one that's like not really helpful. Um, but that's super duper rare. Mm -hmm. Like you can always jump on the phone, have a chat to someone, get their advice mm -hmm. and then like implement that with your case. Um, I find that's really helpful, especially when, you know, the client doesn't want to drive five hours to go to Brisbane. Mm -hmm. You can just jump on the phone, talk to the specialist, see what they would do in this situation. Um, explain what you've got available to you, like drug-wise and, you know, in your clinic. And you can usually make up a plan with them to help the client and the animal, mm. um, which is really, really good. And it's really, really helpful. It's very reassuring. Yeah. We spoke about the fact earlier that in vet school, and it's mm -hmm. something that I'm kind of struggling with, a bit mm -hmm. is um, you don't always have an answer mm -hmm. to 
things in vet school in you know fourth year or whatever yep. you get a case and then they kind of always say at the end mm-hmm. this is a pushing yeah case yeah and you get an answer but yep. it's not like that no um, um which is something i <clears throat> learned real quick um i was having a chat with my, like my boss and i was like i just can't get an answer like i don't know what's wrong with this animal and she's like most cases are like that. They teach you at uni that you always get an answer, mm. and that's not the case, especially but in GP land. The fact is, too, it. I guess sometimes it doesn't matter if yes. you get an answer. Like the treatment isn't going to change. And if you're relieving suffering mm-hmm. from that animal's life and it's doing okay yep. and it's, lack, for lack of a better word, fixed, Yeah. Then you've done. Then your you've job. done your it's job. It's a bit unsatisfying, maybe, but there also yeah. are those satisfying cases. Yeah. That kind of goes on with my next question from another follower. Mm-hmm. Um, she asked, "How do you go storing all the information in your brain as a mixed practice person? <laughs> Is it possible? What are your fears and what are your strategies to overcome this?" They, oh, in vet school, they expect you to know bloody everything. Mm. <laughs> You know, and you kind of have to because, like, you're sitting exams and things like that. But when you step out into, you know, real life, you're finally a vet, there's, like, stuff you do every day. And obviously you just, you know, stuff off by heart just because you do it all the time. But then you get those cases that you just can't remember. Like, Mm. if you get some weird medicine case that you learnt about at uni, which you memorised for your exam and then kind of chucked that information out of your brain again. <laughs> um, you just look it up. Yeah. <laughs> That's how it goes. Yeah. And people still do it to this day. Like, I have vets at work that have been practising way longer than me, and they still look stuff up. Mm. It's just about how much exposure you have to certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, don't be afraid to not know something, mm. you know. So what do we do when we don't know? So if you're in a consult with a client and you don't know, you just say, look, um, you know, I don't see this very often. Let me do some research for you Mm. and I can send you some stuff over email um, and we can have a bit of a chat about it and make a plan. And that probably makes them feel And that makes them feel so much better Mm. because, you know, you're invested in helping their dog or their cat or whatever animal they brought into you. Mm. And they're like, yeah, this vet's like really you know, really wants to help me um, moving forward. And, like, you know, I had a case yesterday of a cat that had bad hips and is at risk of developing arthritis in the future. And I was just like, you know, I came across this drug um, and I can send you some details on it over email um, and we can, you know, look at you maybe using that in the future if the cat developed arthritis and they were so happy Mm. I've never seen clients so happy in my (laughs) life um that they just like you know that I was invested in helping that animal and yeah like you don't have to know everything I learned that very quick you're gonna look like a bad vet if you don't know oh yeah all the time Mm. and I feel like that most of the time (laughs) um is there something you do to remind yourself that just talking talking to my like my colleagues at work, they're like, we feel the exact same way. 
Like mm. it doesn't really go away. Um, you just learn how to deal with it in like a positive way, not like yeah. a negative way. Yeah. Um, like the ways we're talking about with the compassion. Yeah. Um, and like it all comes with experience. Like it's just how it goes. Like there's – and it's forever changing. Like new things are coming out. So you've just got to keep learning. How do we best learn? I try and study to learn. Yes. I don't study to remember. Yeah. And I think it's now been easier for me mm-hmm. actually being exposed to cases. Yeah. Because I can see the case. Yep. Go like in the consult. I'm like, okay, I've got these signs. And then going and having a quick search on my notes mm-hmm. and then seeing, oh, this is the next step. Yeah. Um, and I think... That's why fifth year is so important for vets Um, and, you know, becoming a vet. Exposure to cases is really how you learn. But, yeah, I'm a case-based learner Mm -hmm. and I think people should adopt that into their routine. Um, Obviously, it's not going to be for everyone. You learn how you learn. Um, But, yeah, just you don't have to know everything. Mm -hmm. And I learned that the hard way. (laughs) So I want to just kind of finish up with a few questions for you. Mm-hmm. I want to know, I've never probably asked you this yeah. question, but what do you think you were put on this earth to do? Do you have a purpose? What is your purpose? Are you figuring it out? Honestly, I think I'm still figuring it out. Mm-hmm. I have always wanted to be a vet. There's, you know, I've had times where I'm like, oh, maybe I want to do that. Maybe I want to do that. But it always came back to, nah, I want to be a vet. But I'm just living life at the moment, loving being a vet, loving where I'm living and loving the people like in the community here. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm just enjoying life. Your purpose can be simple too. Yeah, exactly. It could literally be like your purpose might actually be that you just want to love life. Yeah, like that I be yeah. a purpose. It doesn't have mm. to be so specific. Yeah. So that's, I think that's an awesome answer. Yeah. Yeah. I um, think that's the thing. People think your purpose is meant to be this massive, mm. big thing. Like, yeah, this is what I'm supposed to do. And people, I think, get a bit scared when you ask them what their purpose is. So even something simple, I reckon, like you said, is a good purpose. I have two questions that I kind of hide from everyone mm. um, at the end. So you haven't seen these before. There's a few like mindset issues and we've spoken about yeah. them um, already. But do you think there's, what is the biggest mindset problem with the veterinary student space? Do you think it's something we spoke about? Mm. Biggest mindset issue. I feel like, like we said earlier, having to know everything. Mm. And it's really drilled into at uni. So it's, it, I feel like the uni is kind of at fault, I guess, for this. Um, and like having like the crazy cases, like something you're never, ever going to see, but like you've got to learn it mm. and you feel like you've got to remember it. Mm. And um, you don't know what those are until no. you get into fifth year. I exactly. Like. I just think. So we feel like we have to learn everything. Yeah. But actually. You don't. You don't. And, but then you you feel like you still have to because yeah. you don't know which are the ones that you're actually going to see. Exactly. What are the common things? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. 
Um, so that's probably the biggest mindset issue. Mm. And then once you get out, as long as you know the basics, you'll mm. be sweet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like know your little vaccination protocols and mm. what's common in your area of work. Like yeah. for Which me, you'll learn on the job too. Yeah, for me is snake bites, rat bait, mm. toads, mm. pig rips, hit by cars. Yeah. You know, you learn what's common in your area. My final question to everyone is if you had the entire veterinary industry in front of you, so they probably wouldn't all fit in this No. <laughs> um, <laughs> what would you say to them? Oh. If you're up there with your mic and you're like, mm. yo. Yo. What would you say? <laughs> oh, honestly, I don't know. I have no idea. Mm. I'd probably just stand there frozen. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I don't have enough experience yet to give out a really big words of mm. wisdom. I think I'm still learning. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe that's what you say. I'm still learning. Yeah. And that's okay. Mm. And that the pers- everyone that hears that probably goes, fuck, I'm still learning too. Yeah. So maybe and you're always going to be learning. Mm. I think that's, Yeah. That's it. I'm still learning. <laughs> well, thank you, no Dr. Worries. Lauren. Thanks. For spending your Saturday morning with me today. This has been a great conversation. Mm. I've actually enjoyed yes, this. Yes, I've has enjoyed been this a lot. Like, I kind of <laughs> want to keep talking, but we'll, we'll wrap it up yeah. um, for the purpose of, of the podcast. Yeah. Um, for anyone that you know, got something out of this conversation, please go onto Instagram and follow uh, my page, The Mm -hmm. Conscious Vet. Um, And just, I really would like to know which parts of this conversation landed the most for you. And if there's maybe something that you'd like me to talk about in the future. I loved the fact actually that in this conversation, I got some of you guys, the followers involved yeah. and I had your questions, which mm-hmm. really sparked a good conversation. Yeah, so I'm going to do agree. that more and more. Yeah. Um, let me know what landed for you. And finally, Lauren, I just want to thank you for being a veterinary human. Thank you.